We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. As we have a really heavy study today uh, regarding life, regarding our relationship with God, especially in the areas of finances. Look what it says here in Luke 12, uh, beginning in verse 13. It says, Then one from the crowd said to him, speaking to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, this is what he said, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. The Lord says, take heed. Jesus says, beware of covetousness. Why does he say that? Because he knows we have a problem with it. You know, the Bible says in the book of Exodus, chapter 20 and verse 17, it was one of the Ten Commandments. God knew that we would struggle with this, that we would be misaligned in this area. God says, thou shalt not covet. The Lord says, beware of it. And it's interesting. In the Greek language right here, it just comes from two other Greek words, which simply means the desire for more. Jesus says, beware. Don't crave for more. As a matter of fact, we're going to see the Christian attitude should be, be content with less. Don't crave for more. Be content with less. Jesus is going to tell us, don't be passionate about getting. Be passionate about giving. Beware. Take heed. Because that materialistic trap will thrash your walk with the Lord and your reward even in heaven. You know, here we read in verse 13 about a couple of guys, a couple of brothers who are arguing over an inheritance. Have you ever heard that story before? It's almost sickening how much you hear that, huh? How, you know, this family, they work hard, they leave it to their kids, and then the next thing you know, they're, they're fighting over it. Here's, we have another example. They're fighting over it. This guy, in those days, they would often ask the rabbis to make a decision. He said, no, I don't want to get involved in that. He said, I don't want to be the arbitrator. I tell you what, I'm not going to give you a personal precept right now, but I am going to give you something better. I'm going to give you a general principle, and that is what? To beware. To be so careful because this is so dangerous. Beware. Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Unlike, you know, we've probably been taught here, especially in the United States of America. So the Lord says, beware. And then he gives them an illustration. Look at verse 16. He spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here we have the parable of the rich man who thought 
within himself. We read that there in verse 17. He thought within himself. And then we read in verse 21, he laid up treasure for himself. The guy really had a problem with self. You know, and rather than talking things over with God, or at least talking things over with the godly, he talked it over with himself. Rather than considering others and their needs when blessed with such an abundance like this, he considered, again, only himself, his own greeds, not their needs. It was a classic case, a common case of selfishness. You know, six times we read in three verses that word I, you know. Verse 17, and he thought within himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there I will store all my crops and my goods and I will say to my soul. He had an I problem, right? Quite Hispanic. I, 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 I. He was really, really struggling, Right. He was fundamentally flawed. I mean, you read this right here. Look again at verse 18. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul. I mean, the guy, he didn't know what was true and what wasn't. Because nothing belongs to us. It's all God's. They're all God's possessions. And you're all God's people. And when we understand that, when we transfer ownership to him where it belongs to, we realize that we're stewards of everything, then we're going to be able to make some better decisions. He was really wrong in so many areas. A couple of areas we see here is the fact that he didn't realize that possessions and people belong to God. Psalm 104 verse 24 it says, O Lord, how manifold are your works in wisdom. You have made them all... The earth is full of your possessions. They're not my, it's not my barns. It's not my goods. It's not my life. You know, the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son, God says, is mine. And when we understand that, I think we're going to be able to make better decisions since both belong to God, all possessions and all people. It's imperative that we check in with him before we make our decisions, you guys. And that's what the Lord is is teaching here. You know, we read in verse 16 that this guy had a bumper crop. The ground yielded plentifully. And so at first he didn't know what to do. He said, what should I do? You know, I have so much... You know, stuff and the crops, they don't fit in my barns. What shall I do? And so he has a meeting with himself. And then he says, this is what I'll do. I'll pull down my current barns and build bigger barns. I'll cling to my crops. I'll get a good grip on my goods. And then when that's all said and done, after that whole construction slash crop project is done, I'll retire and I will be set for the rest of my life. That was his plan. I'll tell myself, good job. You have many goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and live happily ever after. You know, and I'm sure he thought, you know, and probably others would probably agree, especially here in America, he's being smart. You know, he's being a wise guy, manager of the assets that he has, that he's worked hard for. But look again at God's consensus in verse 20. God said to him, Full. Full. That's what God said. 
full, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? You know, Kenneth Wiest, he's an expert in the Koine Greek language, and he translates this as senseless, stupid, foolish man. Now, we don't use that word in our house, so don't tell my kids I said that, but I know every once in a while the Bible does use that word, and literally that's what Jesus is saying. Senseless, stupid, foolish man. And it's not just an emotional response. It is a logical conclusion that when you live for yourself, you lose. You lose your soul. You lose your so-called riches. And that's why Jesus said, senseless, stupid, foolish man. And it's a heavy study for us, you guys, especially for those of us who live here in America. A real, real relevant verse, Psalm 52, verse 7. says, here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. See, what's your strength? What's your security? Is it social security? You're going to be in big trouble. They should take the word security out of that whole thing, huh? I mean, are you okay with your 401k? Is that going to be all right? Is that where your trust is? See, our trust needs to be in God, period. And God knows where it is, right? Job 27, verse 8, For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he may gain much if God takes away his life. You see, this guy was about to die. Now we're going to see later that one of the things that I've realized in this, and I've read the Bible and I've read different books about this, is this is a very, very personal issue, you know? It's very personal. For some people, God says, sell everything. Give it to the poor, come follow me. He told that to the rich young ruler. He's going to say it again in verse 33. Sell what you have Give alms to the poor. Now, you know, that would be tough, huh? Imagine if God told you to sell everything. Would you? See, it's a very personal issue here. But there's some fundamentals, I think, that we need to understand. And that is this, man. We can't be covetous. We need to be generous. It can't just be wanting more and more. We need to have a heart for the poor. And we read that throughout the Bible. And it's very important that we understand because we can't take it with us, right? King Tut, they buried him with how much gold, man. You know, they found him and they thought, oh, they're going to, you know, they give him all this stuff. When there it is, it's still there a thousand years later. Why? Because he can't take it with him, right? But we can't send it before us, huh? As we invest into the kingdom of God generously, sacrificially, we can send it before us. And God will bless. We can give to the poor. God says to give alms. That means food and money. See, that's where God wants us to be. And we need to understand that as stewards, it's not just about my plan. You can't just have meetings with yourself. You need to go and you really need to sit before the Lord. And you need to get all that squared around way according to His will and no one else's. Because it's a very personal issue between you and the Lord. You know, James chapter 4, if you want to turn there uh, real quick. And James actually talks a lot about, um, you know, rich people. Now, we know that, you know, there are rich people that are right on, man. They really, really live to give. They love the Lord. They're wise with their finances, you know. But there are some, obviously, 
that aren't. Now, now we in this church have been very blessed, I must say. You know, you guys largely, I would say, and I don't know all of your, you know, situations, but so many of you have been a total blessing, giving to God. You know, but we all have to examine our life and we all have to look deeper and we all have to be very, very careful. We don't want God to call us a fool one day, right? And so here in James chapter 4, notice what it says in verse 13. Come now, you who say tomorrow or today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, what would happen if you died tomorrow? Or you knew you were going to die in three days or in a week. Might you do something with the resources you've been given if you knew you were going to die tomorrow? Well, none of us probably knows that, but God knows. And since God knows the day you're going to die, the week, the month, whatever, He is the one that we need to check in with. We we don't know. And that's why this whole financial thing is so personal. That's why, from what I understand, and I don't know, I've never really counted all the verses, but from what I understand, what Jesus taught, 15% of everything He taught was regarding finances. Now, if that's true, then that's more than heaven and hell combined now does that mean that you know the way we spend our money now is where we more important than where we spend eternity then no but what it does mean is that where you spend your finances what you do with your money is a great indicator as far as where you're at in your walk with the lord you see and we have to be so careful but look what the warning we read in Chapter 5, it says, Come now, you rich, weep and, and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. You know, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and all their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like a fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. And there are those people over there, they don't have any money for food. You know, they don't have any electricity right now. You know, they can't buy uniforms for school, right? And here we are, and we've got, you know, a hundred pairs of shoes. We are hoarding in America. Have you guys ever seen those shows, The Hoarders? It's weird, huh? I always, I, I, I like, it makes me want to throw up. I know it's probably a mental illness or something, man, but man, it's crazy. You know, and I think though that a lot of times though we're, we're guilty of that. We have so much. You know, John Wesley, you know, when he first started off in the ministry, he lived on 28 pounds. And then what ended up happening was he got his college education and he got a raise. And guess what he lived on? 28 pounds. And then he got another raise. Before you know it, he's making some pretty good money. Guess what he was living on? 28 pounds. What do we normally do? Well, I make more, I get more. My budget increases. Rather than what? How about finding a way rather than getting more, giving more? See, that's where we want to be as Christians. And that's where God wants us to be more importantly. Otherwise, we might be guilty of this right here. Fattening our hearts. Look what it says right here. Verse 5. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. And that's why the Lord said, back in the Gospel of Luke, 
Take heed. It is a warning. You know, sometimes people have money, and like I said, they do really good. Sometimes people have money, and they're really nice and neat, and everything is nice, cozy, and comfortable, and they think they're in great standing with God, and sometimes they're not, because they don't realize the principle. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much more is required. And so it's almost like a dangerous thing. You know, there's some people here, you're living paycheck to paycheck, huh? Some of us here haven't been good stewards and that's why you're living paycheck to paycheck. Others of you have, but you're still there. Some of you aren't even making it, right? You're like, praise God for beans and rice and Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> but the thing is, is that God will provide. But when you have a lot, and it's, just the, the, it's a principle that applies to everything in life, we have to have an understanding that, that God is requiring more of us. And so we really need to make sure that we take these things into consideration. It's a healthy warning to the wicked, the rebellious, who are caught clearly in cords of what? Covetousness. You see, none of this is ours, you guys. They're all his, his possessions, his people. This rich man right here was about to have a rude awakening. But not just this man. Jesus says, any man, many a man have lost their souls and their so-called riches. Why? Because they got lost in laying up treasures for themselves. Again, look at verse 21. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so the key is what? Don't lay up treasures for yourself, period. Be rich toward God. That's what the Bible says. What does it mean to be rich toward God? You know, there's a couple of things that we see in the Bible when it means to be rich toward God. I believe one is over in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, if you would. Let's turn there. What does it mean to be rich toward God? I I think right here in Revelation 2 and verse 8, we have an answer. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write these things, says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. To be rich towards God has nothing to do with finances. It has to do with the right relationship with him. It has to do with faithfulness. It has to do with living a life that is such a life so on fire for God that the devil wants to kill you because you are making such a difference. That's what Smyrna was. You know, they were going to experience a series of persecutions. Why would they be persecuted? Well, it's because the Bible says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. To be rich towards God has nothing to do with finances. It has everything to do with what? It has to do with our right relationship with God in which we're faithful to the Lord. We see that here. And you might be here today and you might not have a lot of money. You know what? But man, when God looks at you, He is so pleased. Why? Because you have been faithful to Him and you are rich in His eyes. We have one answer here. It has to do with being in right relationship with God. 
Secondly, if you go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, we have the second element of it. Not only being in right relationship with God, but also giving alms to God. Because look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches. And you might want to circle that uncertain riches part, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them, speaking to rich people, do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You see, as Christians, to be rich towards God means, number one, to be in right relationship with Him, like the church of Smyrna was faithful, therefore they were persecuted. And secondly, it means to be an individual willing to give alms for God. You know, God wants us to be rich towards Him, to be rich in good works, ready to give, and willing to share. You know, earlier, if you go back to Luke chapter 11, we read this because the Pharisees were greedy for money. They had problems with this. And so the Lord said, Luke 11, he said, do something different. Rather, verse 41, Luke 11, 41, rather give alms of such things as you have. We're going to read it later if you go over to Luke chapter 12. Look what verse 33 says. Sell what you have and give alms. You see, that's where we need to be, not because, you know, some guy says so, because Jesus says so. That we need to start really making sure we have a heart to give to the poor. It's very important to God. And I've read my Bible many times. I've probably read my Bible, you know, 30 times in my life, over and over again. I know many of you have. And you read it over and over, and you cannot escape God's heart for the poor. Will you give to the poor? And there's no strings attached. I'm not going to give to that person over there and say, hey, you got to come to my church now or this church now. No, you give to the poor because God provides for the poor through his people. Because you love them. And God will honor that. I believe many of them will come to Christ when you do it with agape love. See? Unconditionally, sacrificially, expecting nothing in return. Yeah, Manny, but he needs to get an occupation. Yeah, but he needs salvation. Where someone would come to him and just love him. Love him. And he gets saved. And then he wants to go get a job. It's amazing how God can change lives. And it's amazing to me how a lot of Christians, we, realize don't, we, realize, we really don't realize the simplicity of what God's called us to do. To be content with such things that we have. You know, contentment is the answer to covetousness, huh? We read that in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you read the whole chapter, you'll see that that was a problem in the church. And Paul dealt with that when he was writing to Timothy. You know, alms means money or food given to the poor. You see, this rich man in the parable was considering only himself. He thought his soul was his and he thought his stuff was his. But it wasn't. It ultimately belonged to God. He was disobedient, thinking only of his retirement. 
He was living in carnality, thinking only of security financially, and he was out of the will of God, and God called him a fool. It's not very American, though. So, Manny, is it wrong to think and plan for retirement? No, I don't think so. But there have been those times in the Bible where Jesus said, sell everything, give to the poor, trust me instead. We have a responsibility to those less fortunate. We have a responsibility to our family. We need to know this, that God alone is our security. And that's where he wants us to be. We need to make sure that we manage everything properly. And by that, all I can say is this to you. It must be obediently. You know, it's not a blanket statement. We ought to trust the Lord, you know. I mean, we could lose it like that. The Bible says riches have wings. Did you know that? They just take off one day, you know, and you think you got everything. You think you're set. You got your house. You got your multiple vehicles. And you've got, you know, whatever it is, your nest egg in the bank. And then one day, litigation takes everything away. One day, hospitalization. You or your loved one, unexpected. It can split like that. Our trust is where? It's in the Lord. That's why 1 Timothy calls it uncertain riches. And again, biblically speaking, it's okay to be responsible, modestly prepare for the future. Be nice to your kids. Maybe they'll help you out when you get old. I hope my kids don't put me in an old folks' home, but you never know, man. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, when it says that you're supposed to provide for your own, your own household, do you know what that really means? It's talking about kids providing for their parents. I mean, it includes us providing for our family, but primarily it's children providing for their parents. And it works both ways. The parents lay up for the children, but the children honor their parents when they get older. It's cool the way God works it out, but when it comes to us and our trust, ultimately, it must be in the Lord. We have to make sure that we are truly, totally trusting God. If you sold everything today, if you went out here and you sold everything and you gave it to the poor, would God provide for you? He would. You might have to live in your car, but He would provide for you. You know, you might not get the best food, but you'll get food. God, I want hot Cheetos. God says, no, I'll give you Fritos. Oh, come on, Lord. (laughs) But he'll provide for you, right? And you know, if this is a shirt that God wants me to wear, and someone says, Manny, you wore that two weeks ago. So what, you know? It's the best shirt. Why? Because God gave it to me, right? That's the way we live our life. We don't have to wear a different shirt every week. Where does it say that in the Bible, ladies? (laughs) I wore that to the dinner last time. You know what? Who cares? As long as it's good and modest and covers you, then you're covered. See, we have things so backwards. It's amazing to me. You know, and I'm not saying that the Lord's going to tell you to sell everything. He might. All I know is this, that God will always provide for you. And that's why he says this next in verse 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. Now these are unclean birds, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. 
Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And that's probably referring to the fact that you can't add to your height, you can't add to your life. I mean, God's in total control. He says there in verse 26, If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so close the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. It's very simple. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't fret. I'll take care of you. Just like I do the birds of the air and just like I do the flowers of the field. How many of you guys, you watch the squirrels in your backyard? Just out of curiosity. Isn't it so cool how the Lord, man, he feeds them so faithfully. You know, the Lord says, I do that with the birds and the flowers and you know what? You're much more valuable than they are. You know that, don't you? I'll feed you. I'll give you clothes. And that's enough. I'll feed you. And I'll lead you through life. And that's enough. I'll clothe you with my righteousness. And you will be rich in heaven. And that's enough. And it's so hard to get through our American brain sometimes. Why? Because we have been conformed to this world. I'd rather live in a tent of righteousness than have a mansion of wickedness. But I think we get confused. The Lord says worry and anxiety are useless. He says worry and anxiety are are godless. He says the rest of the world, that's what they do. Are you an atheist? Oh no, I believe in God. Well, maybe you're not a positional atheist, but maybe you're a practical atheist. Do you really believe in God? He'll provide for you. He wants you to know that. Here's the promise. Put God in his kingdom first. That's all. That's all you got to do. Verse 31. Seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. <laughs> God says, if you seek me first, that's all you got to do. That's all you got to know. That's where it starts. That's where it ends. Everything's there. Get caught up in a personal relationship with God. Fall in love with God. Draw near to God. And I'll tell you what, everything's going to come together when we seek God first. And there's the priority. And there's the security. And there is the perfect will of God. This is true for us personally. It's also true for us congregationally. An interesting verse in verse 32, he says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, and I wish more churches would, would read this and, and heed this. Because there's a lot of churches that I, I think they don't. They don't realize really what God's called us to do. Sometimes churches have problems 
with hoarding. Jesus here speaks of a flock. He's speaking now of a flock. And it's so sad how some flocks have problems with, you know, building bigger buildings and bigger barns and not giving, not living for the Lord, not trusting. Maybe they're worrying, you know, and I don't know. You know, we do need to save and I understand those types of things, but man, we don't need to save more and more if we neglect the poor. The Lord here in the whole context is saying it's not for yourself. Give alms. Honor me. Follow me. Trust me. And I think we miss the message of the Bible. You know when you read the Bible, you understand that. Well, man, you're speaking the social gospel. No, I'm not. I'm talking about the heart of God. How he cares for the less fortunate. You know, when we first started the church, One of the main verses that God laid in my heart was Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, in which the Bible says, and Paul and them, they're asking, hey, can we do this, you know, church thing over here? Can we reach out to the Gentiles? And they told Paul, they said, listen, it's okay to do that. Just do me this one favor. Don't forget the poor. And Paul says, that was the very thing that I was eager to do. And so you read through the book of Acts and you see Paul the Apostle never forgetting the poor and bringing the collection to the saints. See, it's a part of the church. It's a large part of our lives congregationally as well as personally. I've seen other flocks never ever give to the poor. And they suffered because of it. God says, tell you what, trust me, do what you're supposed to do, give to those who are less fortunate, and I will give you the kingdom of God. That's what he says there. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What a promise. What a promise from the Lord. Jesus says, don't worry, live to give. Don't hoard it up for yourself. Give it away. And I'll take care of you. You know, the Lord really does care for the poor. Verse 33, Sell what ye have, give alms, provide yourselves money bags, which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, if God commanded you to sell everything, give to the poor, would you do it? We know he's asked others to do it when it became a problem in their life. And here the Lord makes a general statement to his disciples. Sell what you have and and give alms. You're in the process, you'll be providing yourself, the Lord says, with money bags which do not grow old. You will be depositing treasures in heaven that will never ever fade away or be taken away. You know, Randy Alcorn, he has a really cool book. It's called The Treasure Principle. I really encourage you, if you can, to read that book. I've read it so many times. I've highlighted my highlights and I've starred my stars, you know. But um, in it, he gives a really good illustration of how, you know, let's just say it's a civil war. It's a civil war and, you know, you're in the south side of town and you know you're about to lose and after the south loses and the then the currency from the south side will no longer be valid 
And so he said, if you were there in that situation with a whole bunch of south side currency, what would you do knowing that eventually it's not going to be you know, worth anything? He said, well, you know what you would do is you would trade it in for currency from the north side, right? If you're smart. And he's saying, the Lord's saying, that's exactly the way it is, man. You got a whole bunch of money and you're sticking to it and you're saving and you're doing all these different things and it's all on planet Earth with these possessions that are passing. He says, that's kind of senseless. That's kind of stupid. It's kind of foolish, man. Trade it in. Invest in the kingdom of God. Give to the poor. God says, and you'll have treasures in heaven that will never, ever, ever fade away. And we have to be so careful, you guys, that we don't miss out what Jesus is teaching us. You know, it's kind of like a circle. Let's just say I purchased some stocks. You know, the way that it works is if I purchase stocks, I would probably be checking that stock every day, huh? That's probably how it would be. Oh, how's it doing? Every day, every day. You know, because there's your treasure and so there's your heart. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart is, right? And that's kind of the way it works. It's kind of like a circle. There's the other side of the circle, too, that says this. Wherever your heart is, there your your treasure is. And if your heart is really with and for the Lord, then your financial statements will show it. Same is true on the other side of the circle. I spend and invest my money wherever my heart is. If my heart is here on earth, I'll spend it on these possessions that are passing. But if my heart is in heaven, if it belongs to God and his kingdom, then I will invest in those things which are eternal, giving to the work of the ministry generously, giving to the poor, no strings attached, not just generously, sacrificially, just doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord will provide. He's the source. He oftentimes uses us to provide. Why do we have a heart for the poor? Why? Because God does. And so we have to settle the question, man. What am I going to do? Lord, will I be a steward? Will I transfer ownership? Will I be covetous? Will I be generous? There are some rich men who understand why they've been given what they've been given, why they've been blessed financially and materially, and they give to God faithfully, generously and sacrificially but then there are those who don't understand or worse than that they do understand but they simply disobey and they are building bigger barns hoarders not following orders not really realizing that seriously it's true to whom much is given much more is required i would say to you today give to god while you can it's the safest investment in the market of mankind, huh? (laughs) Especially in the economy that we live in today. I mean, if you can visualize it, this whole world and so many times, you know, and I I know it's different. Some of you here, you've gotten over the covetous stuff, you know. A lot of times we have to get a little older when that happens. Some of you younger people, I encourage you, try to learn that lesson when you're young in life to be simple, live on simple things. You can have a rice day, right? That's all you need, rice every day like they do in Cambodia, stuff like that. You know, and as you're living that life, God teaches you and God will bless you. You're not going to be distracted with all this stuff of the world. One guy said this, the materialistic world is like a group of passengers frantically scurrying to get the best deck chair on a sinking ship. (laughs) I mean, how foolish is that, right? 
the Bible is such a practical book. And our checkbook is a practical look at where we're really at with the Lord. This is why Jesus addresses this area so frequently. You know, where's your security? Seriously, guys, where's your security? Is it in your occupation? Is it in your education? Is it in the money that you have, your will or your skill? Be so careful, man. How we spend our money really does matter because ultimately it belongs to the Lord. It's a practical indicator of what road we're on and whether or not we will receive a full reward or a fool's reward. And so someone says, Manny, you're, you're saying this because you want us to give, huh? And you know, um, and you guys know this, you know, we just teach through the Bible. I don't really talk a whole lot of money, about money. If it's there, I have, of course, the responsibility to talk about it. You know, but God has blessed this church. He really has. And the thing is, is that it's not for me. It's actually for you. It really is. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. See, when you give to live, you live to give. When you're not covetous, but you're generous, when it's not just about more and more, but it begins to really be about the poor, when you are obedient to whatever it is God calls you and your personal finances to do faithfully, generously, sacrificially, then you will receive a full reward and fruit will be accredited to your account. You know, sometimes, you know, our church, we kind of go through, you know, different things. I remember there was a while back, you know, when we were giving a lot of benevolence out. We already give away a certain percentage of benevolence. Everything that comes in, you know, we set it aside for those who might not have. But I remember there was a time when we were giving a lot and giving a lot and kind of even exceeding the percentages that we had, you know, dedicated to God, helping people with rent, helping people with, you know, um, food and utilities and different things like that, you know, trying to make good decisions. And I remember, man, I was asking the Lord, Lord, you know, I, I want to make sure, we want to make sure that we're following you, Lord. And so, Lord, please lead us and guide us. And, and even show me, Lord, if any way, you know, we're doing anything wrong. And I'll never forget what ended up happening was a lady, uh, she came up to me, man, just out of the blue. And she said, God has laid it on my heart to give to you, to the church, $10,000. And I'll never forget, you know, for me, what ended up happening is I felt, I, I, I heard a voice, I heard the Lord say, see, I see. You cannot outgive God. You can't. God will bless you. You know, so you're thinking, okay, Manny, did you get a new suit after that? No, I didn't, man. <laughs> Manny, can I have a car? You guys, be, be, be good, you know. God will bless you. God will do a work. Very, very practical thing for us to get with the Lord. Don't go and get with yourself. Don't talk with yourself. Talk with the Lord and ask Him what His plan is for you. It goes for the flock. It goes for your family. It goes for every fellow here today. Our Father will bless us when we choose to be generous and not covetous. To care for the poor and not just lust for more to lift our hearts to heaven and invest 
in the best. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and grace in our life. And Lord, I pray that we would just, Lord God, live a life in right relationship to you. I know, Lord, that the area of finances is a large indicator of where we're at. And so, Lord, if there's anything that's not right, I pray, Lord, today that by your Holy Spirit, you would awaken us, Lord, to understand not just a part but the heart of God, how you want us, Lord God, to be caught up in the things that are eternal, Lord. Help us, Lord God, cut the chains. Cut the chains because in so many ways we are attached. We are chained to the things of this world. And Lord, I pray that today by your Holy Spirit that there would be uh, an intervention, Lord God, and that you would allow us to step up and to do a good work for you, to be ready to give, willing to share. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for just so many here that have been faithful in their areas of finances, in their life. Lord, it's just so beautiful to see. Lord, I pray you would continue to do the work that you want to do in us and through our life. And Father God, I pray for anyone here today who maybe doesn't know you, Lord. They're not Christians, or maybe they've drifted away. Lord, I pray that today would be used by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to bring us back to where we belong. Lord, how our sins separate us from you. But you died for our sins, Jesus. And if we would just turn from them and trust in you, just choose to follow Jesus, to trust Jesus, acknowledge I need Jesus, then today will be a new day, a day of salvation. Lord, I pray you would work that work in every heart here, Lord, today. And just as you guys are praying, everybody with eyes closed, if you're here today, maybe you've drifted away or maybe you know you, you don't know the Lord and you want to change. You want today to be a new start in your life. You want to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior so that when you die, you'll go to heaven so that all your sins can be forgiven. Just in case there's anyone here today, if that's you, you want to start new with the Lord, right where you're at, I just want you to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Anyone here, this is really what it's all about. Thank you, Lord, so much for that beautiful hand that's gone out. Anyone else? You know, you might not think it's much. Just raise my hand. What's that? Thank you, Lord, for the hand that's gone up. It's it's just, Lord, I, I need you. And he sees that, you know, from your heart. Thank you so much, Lord, for the hands that have gone up. Maybe you're here today and you think, well, yours, your sin is too bad. There's no way God can forgive me. Let me tell you something, man. The blood of Jesus Christ can forgive any sin. And He can save anybody. You're not too far. Thank you, Lord. Nobody's too far. decision you ever made to really truly follow the Lord.
Father, I thank you so much for the hands that went up, Lord God. I know you see, Lord. You see the pain. I just really pray, Lord, that you would speak life over them, that you would breathe on them, You lift them up and you put them on the rock. Thank you so much, Father, for allowing us to be here today. For your love for us, Lord. Help us in all areas of our life, Lord, to surrender to you. Just to make you the Lord where you belong. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'll stand. If you're here today and you We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.